The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, Lord, for this time that we have to be able to spend today at a conference like this, that you are feeding us on your word and equipping us, Lord, to know better how to use that word and to know better how to point others to you. I pray that you will help us today as we... Um, Listen today to this one talk and um, bless your words. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, I, I kind of um, was starting to think about this by talking to another friend of mine. And we were talking about how sometimes there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between... What, what we felt was people in the church and people in the church who have gone through things and the expectations that we were seeing, what we were thinking, where other people were saying that there's these expectations. And this was just something that was going on in our heads, and I know that, that right now is probably not making a lot of sense. I will let you will sit and listen to me, and Nichols will start to fall in. I'm, it, I promise. Um, and so as I was thinking through that, we were thinking through that, thinking, talking, thinking, talking, and we thought, well, you know, I mean, it's one thing to be in the midst of a time when you're suffering. It's one thing to be in the midst of a trial. And then after that's all done, it's like, well, what happens then? Because sometimes there's a, there is an aftermath to what people go through, okay? And there, there are results, there are effects that are sometimes long-lasting. Sometimes those are very obvious. Sometimes they're not so obvious. And I'm being a little bit vague on purpose because I want you to be able to embrace this idea um, and be able to apply it to any situation. So it's not just focused in on one certain kind of suffering or one certain kind of person's lifestyle. Because I think this could be, uh, life in the aftermath could be broadly applied to all sorts of people. Um, <clears throat> I want to start off by talking about, oh, speak up. Sorry, I have a very quiet voice, I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, I will try to speak. Can you hear this a little bit better? Yeah. All right. L first, let me talk to you about uh, somebody, if you are the counselor and you are talking to someone who is in the aftermath of suffering, not going through suffering right now, but this is maybe years even down the road through the suffering. Okay, so, so you are maybe ministering to that person. When I think of biblical counseling, I like to think of it very broadly, not as necessarily a formal session in, in, at IBCD or at another counseling center, not necessarily a formal session, but I like to think of biblical counseling as the kitchen table, the coffee shop, um, the click my microphone, which is not going to be good, uh, or any of those other places where you may just informally 
meet with another person and talk to them and find, discover. Sometimes, ooh, wow, God is doing something in that person's life, or this person is hurting in this way, right? And as a conference like this equips us all to be able to, um, I think, minister to those people and point them back to the Lord so that they're not just left with some kind of a surface um, relationship with you or something like that. That's, that's one of the reasons I, I think I'm drawn to biblical counseling is because it does take those relationships to that next level. And it doesn't just keep everything necessarily just on the surface. So first off, when we meet somebody, we want to always understand where they're at. And Psalm 30 Verse 5 is, is a key verse um, <clears throat> that makes us remember that suffering is actually real. Okay? His anger, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Okay? This, this verse has freed me to cry many times and freed me to know that there is a morning coming. Doesn't necessarily mean the very next 24-hour day, but there is a morning coming when I will be seeing the Lord and it will not be night again. I will not need to weep in that way again. Uh, John 16:33. even Jesus said, <clears throat> I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, I have heard this verse read, and the phrase, in me, has been left out. Has anybody else heard it like that? I have said these things to you that you might have peace. Haven't you heard it like that before? Uh, but I, my Bible had the words, that in me you might have peace. Okay, so suffering is real. We live in this culture that uh, maybe even especially a church culture where we believe in the fairy tale, right? The happy ever after. We're Christians, right? Uh, we are supposed to somehow God is going to work everything out for us for good. Because, because this is what the Bible says, and we're going to live this little fairy tale life. Okay? And even culture, even the world, is kind of like sucked into this kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> we think that it is our personal good, our personal happiness, that, God is, that that's what God is about, that that's what God is working in us. Uh, but you can't be a counselor very long or you can't even be really a Christian who really cares about others very long before you start to see uh, that's not exactly the case. Um, you're going to hear stories probably that are very, very painful. People that are in the middle of suffering. You're going to wonder how the woman will ever get through this. How is the morning ever going to come? It's just going to be eternal weeping. Um, you think there is no possible way there's a happy ever after here. You know, we think of even, um, I like to think of 
popular cultural things sometimes too that kind of go along with this thinking because God uses stuff like that in me and it could be that I'm just that weird but I think of the painter Thomas Kincaid right beautiful beautiful work I actually when I look at Thomas Kincaid paintings that were all over the Christian bookstores for years and years um, I do I feel happy you know, I look at it and, and I just see, oh, it's so peaceful, it's so happy. But again, doesn't this just reinforce that cultural idea that this is what life is supposed to be? Beautiful little cottage in the, in the field with the light shining on the gate and I just want to run up through the gate and I don't, but you know, I also think of some artists like maybe Salvador Dali and clocks melting over tree branches and stuff like that. Now, surrealism, now it can, it can be pretty dark and bad in some ways, but to me, that almost speaks more reality to me than a Thomas Kincaid painting. Because when I see uh, some kind of a bizarre painting, I immediately am forced in my mind to start thinking about what is real? This obviously is not real because clocks don't melt on trees, branches, okay? But what is, what is being said here? Whereas when I look at one of those pretty little paintings, you know, I, I get this emotional feel immediately of happiness, but I don't start to think now, is this real? Is this where most people live? And I think the reality is, is that our lives are pretty messy. Our lives you know, do not just fit into that picture of perfect perfection. That points us to the day to come. Joy comes in the morning, points us to that morning. But suffering is very real. Um, <coughs> God is omnipotent over that suffering, though. Uh, I, I loved having that talk that we just had right before I spoke here, I think I could probably say, okay, let's just close our notebooks. You've heard it all. I don't need to say anything more. Um, but, you know, God really is in control. And uh, one of the th greatest joys of being a biblical counselor is standing aside and watching the Holy Spirit work in somebody and bringing them to that place where they say, oh, God is in control. God is using this, you know, and and this can help to bring her joy while she is in that place of suffering. Okay, um, we see women who uh, come out on the other side of the suffering. You know, especially if you're if you are involved in biblical counseling. Raise your hand if you are involved in it as as a counselor. All right, but if, or even informally, remember, like broad, like do you help friends? Do you try to point them to Christ? We all should be able to raise our hands. Um, but we see people come through to the other side of suffering, and we see that they are able to be in joy. We see those very same people that we thought, oh, Lord, I don't know what the answer to this person's problem is because this is so intense and yet we see them come through and we see the good that God is using for that very thing.
and and it's such a joy to be in this place as a counselor and to be able to kind of see that more often. Um, we can embrace that idea that God is intentionally using suffering and that he, this, as your, as your counselee, or as you, or as I, am able to embrace that idea, um, that is going to bring me more peace. That is going to bring me more joy. That is going to bring me even hope because I know that God has a purpose. He has an intention for it. Okay? Um, sorry. I went really old school. I, I cut, I literally cut and pasted my notes onto my little tablet, <clears throat> glue stick, scissors, old school. Um, life in the aftermath is also in part recognizing that weakness. Now, I, sometimes it's hard to really recognize that you have a weakness or that I have a weakness. I, I'm, when I say you, you have to understand that I'm talking from my own self. In fact, you don't know how much I almost begged out of speaking. Because <laughs> of course things in life kind of start to blow up right before you're going to talk about weakness. And of course the very place where, where you are most vulnerable, that's the place where it's going to get hit, right? Okay, of course. But uh, we have to recognize that there is a weakness. You can't embrace it if you don't accept that it's there, okay? Um, getting through the suffering doesn't mean that life goes back to normal for women, okay? We see them come through the other side, yay, 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 and we live our lives on. But sometimes we forget that that person may have been permanently changed. And an illness that might have caused a woman to be unable to have children will affect her her whole life. A uh, financial situation, a divorce, a, you know, a, a death in the family may financially impact a woman to the place where the rest of her life is impacted by that. Okay? So even though the woman, the person you've talked to, and watch yourself even, even though you have come through that place of suffering. It doesn't mean that you're not affected. And maybe that's going to be affected forever, you know? Uh, the emotional pain can be healed. The trauma or the experience that caused that pain may be gone, but, but that woman could be in a place physically or emotionally Mentally, that's just not the place where they used to be, okay? Uh, maybe she won't be able to do everything she used to be able to do, okay? That could be for many reasons. Again, I'm being a little bit vague so that it can be applied broadly. Uh, physically, if there was a physical illness, that might have left someone in a place where they're not able physically to do those things. It's just not a possibility physically. or. Uh, you know, with financial constraints, perhaps there's needs that have to be taken care of that, again, makes it so this woman cannot 
do all the things that maybe she was once was able to do. Um, <clears throat> uh, sorry. So awareness is the first step in accepting God's plan. And um, we have to understand that this is God's plan. Even this long-lasting aftermath, which could go on for the rest of life, uh, this is part of God's plan. All right? We live in a community. Beautiful thing. We live in, live in this close community. We should be reaching out into each other's lives and, and trying to um, impact each other, sharing what we've learned from workshops like this or how God has worked in our lives, right? We, we all live in this beautiful community, a community that, that should be identified by compassion and caring. But what happens? Especially in our Thomas Kincaid fairy book mentality of life, is that I cannot tell you how many women I have talked to who, sitting across from me at a counseling table, think that everybody else in their church, everybody else in their church, lives the Thomas Kincaid life. I, you know, it, it's just we deceive ourselves. We get this perception. We present only a certain way to other people right? And they say it's even getting worse with social media, right? Because people post wonderful, wonderful things about their life and everybody's like, huh, everybody has a better life than I do. Um, so others might recognize the fact that this person that's gone through all this is, well, damaged somehow, okay? And, you know, sometimes they don't recognize that at all, but they might realize that, oh, this person has really been through a lot and it's really changed them. They're kind of damaged a little bit. So they might feel a little bit sorry for them. Now, none of us really like to be felt sorry for necessarily, you know, unless we're right. We like to be loved, compassionate. We like empathy, but not to have somebody feel sorry for us. Um, people might start to pity a person. People might start to avoid a person because they've come through this situation. Okay? Uh, this on the uh, flip side to that, people might just assume that, oh, well, that suffering thing is over. Everything's back to normal, okay? And then they kind of don't get that, why isn't this person doing everything they used to do? They used to be this, they used to do this, and why aren't they living in that way? Well, you know, this is, again, not looking at the reality of what this person is, is now having to deal with. Um, so what happens then to the person that's actually living that life in the aftermath is they're looking, because we can't help in community to, to notice what people are saying and thinking about us and, you know, what they're talking, well, not thinking, we can't see what they're thinking, but what they're, what they're saying to us if they're speaking their thoughts to us. Um, but she might start to feel a little sorry for herself, a little self-pity, a little um, maybe angry, bitterness. You know, it's, it's this place in the aftermath that if we cannot help people to understand that, yes, you're weak, it's okay, 
embrace this place, okay, if we can't help people when we see this, this might be the case here, that then we will see them in the counseling room. But down the road, or not necessarily, but we could see them in the counseling room, and down the road, that, that won't be just that they're feeling sorry for themselves, maybe it will be played out in a much bigger way. Just like we've learned in some of our talks that we've heard, those, those little seed heart sins oftentimes play out in relationally or other areas of our lives in big ways, okay? So this place of being now weakened can leave you in a vulnerable place. Another reason I took this talk, <clears throat> or I chose to talk on this, was not just the conversation I was having with my friend when we were kind of talking about our um, experiences, but was also some of the, I'm a, I'm a teacher by trade during the regular part of the year, or the school year rather, and um, we listened to TED Talks and we listened to a bunch of these different kinds of life hack talks and stuff like that. And uh, vulnerability is a big buzzword, you know, that it's a good thing to be vulnerable. It's a good thing to be able to open up and that sort of thing. And I was, I was thinking about that. I was talking to, my, to a friend too. And vulnerability is sometimes hard when, when it's the life you're living and, and you're vulnerable to life itself. I mean, it's one thing to be vulnerable to other people in that you're willing to be open, which I do believe is a very good thing to be. But it's, it's, it's different when you're, when you're feeling vulnerable to the world around you, okay? And, and I'm saying that that is kind of what this feels like, this place of weakness to some people, to some women. A woman might wonder, why would God bring her through the thing that she came through, however many years ago it was, just to leave her kind of so vulnerable, so, so weak? Why would, um, why would he bring her through this place and she can't really, she doesn't feel like she has the strength to hold her head up high and, and walk through victorious? Okay, so these are some thoughts that could start to develop from this person that has gone through a, a really bad thing, really rejoiced that God has solved this problem for her, that he has worked things out, he's worked in her life, but then life goes on. Okay, um, so that understanding the problem then leads to how do we help or how do we offer hope for the person that's in this situation. And I might, people have Bibles here at all? <laughs> um, do I have, um, well, apps are fine, Bible apps are fine too. Second uh, Corinthians 1, 8, if somebody could look up Second Corinthians 1, 8, 9, and 10, and then I may ask you to read that verse. So somebody holler at me if you are like willing to do that kind of thing. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians uh, chapter 1, <coughs> verses 8, 9, and 10. Not right now, but I will ask you. Okay? Does somebody have it? All right. Um, I'm going to read to you from the notes. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And this is probably the key section of this, of this talk. So to keep me, Paul talking, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if that's not embracing weakness, I don't know what is. Okay? I do have to tell you, though, I, as I studied through my big giant, my friend, one of my friends was laughing at me. I've got an ESV hardcover study Bible, large print. It's, it's like, the, literally, it's like, you know, I have to, it sits on a table. I, it's like one of those dictionaries in a, in a library, you know. Um, but but uh, using the footnotes in that was some of what I looked through and other, other commentaries as well to find out about this Second Corinthians book. And the commentators are kind of, there's a lot of them all over the place in different, different places on this. Some of them are saying, well, this is a letter that Paul probably started writing it and then he got sidetracked and then he started writing a little bit more because it's all disjointed. Others said, no, it's a theme about suffering. You know, so they're all over the place with, with their talk on this. But one thing they do agree on is that Paul was being attacked his ministry was being attacked. Um, he was being accused falsely, and he was he was his message was being attacked, too. Okay, as biblical counselors, I think we love the Apostle Paul, right? One of the greatest minds ever. He connected so many of those dots between. Um, between the life even and the gospel, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, the Apostle Paul is just this amazing mind who has really answered so many of our questions, okay? But when you're struggling with weakness or when your counselee is struggling with weakness, Apostle Paul is not the one that usually we run to to want to minister to that person right? Or if it's us ourselves, we don't want to run to the Apostle Paul. We might run to Peter because we feel he's a little bit more realistic and he may respond a little bit more like we might respond. Uh, he, he had doubts. He, he was on water and yet he sank. I mean, there's all kinds of things Peter did. He shoot, shoots off his mouth and 
crazy ways sometimes. And Paul, well, Paul's like this brainiac guy that's in this philosophical ivory tower. I want to break that ivory tower for you if I can, okay? Because Paul suffered. Paul suffered greatly. I grew up in church. All my Sunday school books, little pictures of Paul being lowered from a basket, waving up at his friends, hi-bye, you know, no idea. This man had been tortured, okay? This man had been left for dead. He had been beaten so many times. And this book of 2 Corinthians, he's talking about times when he despaired of life itself. Let's see here. 2 Corinthians 1, mm, let's see, 2 Corinthians 1, 8. If you would read just that one verse, somebody that had it did. Thank you. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despair of life itself. Okay. Beyond our ability to endure, this is Paul. So I, I, I want that ivory tower broken, at least for me as a counselor, because I want to be able to use this person who was at a place of such deep despair to connect with the suffering of someone else, okay? I want to be able to use that person. This is not a person that's just, hmm, let me look through the scripture and tell you what God is all about. And yet that sometimes is the idea we, we come away with with Paul, but <clears throat> that's not who he is. Um, his comfort and hope was always knowing who God was always knowing who he is in Christ and not hoping just in his circumstances to improve. Paul was not looking for the Thomas Kincaid version of his life, the way some of my Sunday school books kind of painted everybody's life in the Bible was just happy. Okay, Paul was not just looking for that. 2 Corinthians 1 9. Is there somebody else want to read that? Or? Yes. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Wow. Okay. Despairing of life and yet knowing that God raises the dead. Now that's hope. That's hope in the midst of suffering, right? This is not a person who is just your brainiac theologian. This is a person whose theology was born out of suffering, okay? Um, his understanding of who God was was just exploded in the best way possible because of the suffering that he went through. Um, and let me have 
uh, let's see. So as counselors, if your counselee is weak in the basic understanding of who she is in Christ, you might need to back up and build that foundation for her before she's going to be able to move on, okay? As broad-based counselors, with just your friend at the coffee table, again, this is probably key. Remember way back from uh, when I first started when I read uh, John, and it says, in me, okay? And here, Paul is understanding who he is based on his relationship with God. And this is what gives him the very strength. Okay, this is, this is your gospel hope, right? This is your understanding of how much God loves you, who you are in Christ, that feeling, okay? And depending on your counselee, you may need to spend almost all your time there and never move on very much to further steps, okay? And that's, I think that's to, that is completely fine. She needs to be able to understand who she is in Christ before she's going to be able to respond to that awareness. And I believe, by the word of God, that her response to that awareness will be godly living, okay? I don't believe that I, as a counselor, give a person a to-do list to do and that that has changed their heart. I believe their heart changes and then they are going to live rightly. And yes, I can help them. I can guide them and point them and let them see what it says in Scripture to do because the Scripture does tell us how to live. Okay? Uh, let me have 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Somebody read that, please. All right, thank you. Who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us? He on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Okay. That's that Christian hope again. It's coming. The morning is coming. The morning is coming. Weeping might be for the night, but joy will come in the morning. Okay. And, and Paul was rescued. He didn't die in that situation. I mean, he lived to write the letter about it, right? But when we picture Paul, we can't picture him just, God, God somehow miraculously changed his whole body after being beaten more than once to the place of almost death, that he didn't have some residual effects of those beatings that he didn't have residual effects of some of the things that he has gone through, being in prison, okay? This is gonna take a toll on his body. I don't see Paul anymore like I did when I was in Sunday school. It's this, yeah, I'm Paul, you know. I don't see him like that. I see somebody that's broken, broken, okay? Weakened, hurt. Um, but that's not the aftermath because the aftermath is what happens a little bit later. Paul is willing, he's gotten through much suffering and more is to come for him, but he gets through so much suffering and he 
keeps ministering, keeps going, keeps going. But the aftermath for Paul was this. It wasn't the happy ending. He didn't get to just sit there and brag about God took me out. I was despairing of death or despairing of life itself, and God rescued me. He doesn't get to, that's not his testimony um, in full. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says that he had a thorn in his flesh that was given to him. Now, so, I mean, we're not talking about a really well man anyway, because, you know, just look at a football player, and they're not despairing of life necessarily, but a few years on the field, their body is not the same. So, I mean, the Apostle Paul is going through all this stuff. His body is not the same, but then he is also given a thorn in the flesh. And he has been praying to God that this would, he would get relief to, from this thorn. Okay. And if Paul was more like Peter, oh, but God doesn't tell Paul, okay, right? He doesn't relieve him at that time like he did before. I mean, despairing of death, he got relief. The thorn in the flesh, did he get relief? God says, my grace is sufficient, okay? And um, if Paul was a little bit more like Peter here, he might, he might have said something like, really? I almost died over there, and you rescued me and brought me through, and now I have this thorn in my flesh? Really, God? You know, that would be more of a Peter response, or uh, our response, right? But that's not Paul's default at this. He understands, first, his biblical understanding of who he is in Christ and God's plan for his life. Now, if that's not powerful, you know, I understand that when a person is in the middle of suffering, that we want to give them hope and comfort from the Psalms and from other places where they will identify in that way. But I don't think we have to throw theology out. I think there is great comfort in knowing that because we're in Christ, he is there for us. The Holy Spirit is fighting for us. Um, That we have resources even today even in our weaknesses Uh, so Paul that's what Paul does he falls back into his understanding what's going on here oh wait wait let me let me think this through okay and I don't see any problem in talking to somebody and helping them get to that place where they can be thinking that through he sees that that Maybe this thorn will have some good. Okay. Um, He wrote the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians before he wrote Romans. And 2nd Corinthians here is this book of a lot of, where he's talking about his suffering. Talking about a lot of stuff he's been through. And that Romans, in my opinion, is the best book in the Bible for understanding what the gospel is. Understanding Christian living. Okay. Um, but he wrote this first. 
okay? His big theological um, explanation throughout the book of Romans is born out of all of this. It's coming as an aftermath of all of this. The thorn helped Paul in becoming more Christ-like in humility. This was one good thing from Paul's thorn. And I know we like to think, I don't really want to deal with the humility part, but it also glorified God by showing God's power, okay, rather than Paul's ability. So life in the aftermath for Paul was painful and weak, okay? Weak physically, and then there was this thorn. Whatever the thorn was, Everybody has a different opinion about what the thorn was, but it left Paul in a place of God said his grace would be sufficient. I will believe what the Lord is saying. You know, and, and I think of the thorn, I think of a thorn in the flesh when I've done a little gardening, little, no, little, um, and say a rose or something like that, I break off a piece of thorn, gets stuck in me or something like that. A little thorn gets stuck in me. Well, yeah, but it hurts for a minute, but then I might be busy doing something else, so I'll go on and mess with something else and then kind of forget until I touch that place. And it's like, oh, right? It's like, oh, you know, it's, it's kind of like an irritation more than an actual suffering. To have a thorn in the flesh. It's funny too, this, this week, this last week, one of my co-workers was doing some major gardening and got a thorn like this in her. And the thing is, um, they gave her antibiotics, but, but she is like on the waiting list, waiting, 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 and her hand is like this. But, um, so she, but she's working. She's going on. She said after the antibodies, it doesn't really bother her, even though her hand is kind of big, you know. Uh, so the, the thorn is not necessarily a place where we're suffering. It is that place of, yeah, I'm aware there's a weakness. And, you know, I can tell you I got some thorns pressed in me a little bit lately, too. And um, it, it doesn't feel good. But God is faithful, and he brings us back to that place. Well, if your grace is sufficient, that means, finish the sentence, right? That we can keep going. Biblical hope is found, uh, biblical hope is found in being found in Christ, okay? The Christian who really gets that her identity comes from knowing how God is using her weakness or the loss that she's feeling, even her inabilities to glorify God, or even her inabilities are being used to glorify God and make her more Christ-like. Purpose and meaning are a very strong protection to, uh, from despair, anger, self-pity, feeling depressed. So biblical hope is, is really found in this place of, of resting in the power of Christ in me. That is the hope of glory. 
that is what my morning song should be looking for, the hope of glory, not the hope of a Thomas Kincaid painting of my life, which is, you know, whether it happens or not, it, that doesn't matter. What's going to matter is that true morning glory that we see when we're resurrected to be with Christ. Um, when our purpose shifts from meeting somebody else's standard or maybe our own standard that we used to have in the past, okay, to resting in Christ, now this person is free. They're, they're free to say, no, can't do that. Because their identity, their whole focus for life is not caught up anymore in what they used to expect of themselves. But it's in the reality of, I am in the Lord, and the Lord has given me this much strength, and I'm going to move forward in that strength the Lord has given me. Maybe I used to have this much strength, and I move forward in that much strength. But it is the Lord's strength that he gives me. Anything I do is his work in me. I am free to rest because I can rest in him. Your counselee is free to rest because they can rest in the Lord, or she can rest in the Lord. So biblical hope is found in God's glory. Uh, let's, let's look at 2 Corinthians 13.4. Somebody want to read that? Anybody? Yes. Thank you. For indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also, we are weak in him, yet we shall live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Okay, thank you. So we're reminded that Jesus Christ was crucified in weakness. Okay. But he lives by the power of God. Okay. Um, has your counselee been made weak? Have you been made weak? Um, Jesus Christ was made weaker still. And he lived and died in that weakness for her. Paul knew that he could never offer hope. If hope was supposed to be found in him or his credentials okay he knew that power that real strength that matters in the only true sense was found in Christ alone okay and some experts excerpts from this portion of my talk I was relying on counsel from the cross by uh, Fitzpatrick and Johnson. So that was, there was a little section, little tiny section in that book that kind of tied in with what I was speaking on. So I want to just give you that reference in case you wanted to check it out at the bookstore. Um, but Paul was able to say the, these things about strength and, 
and being able to embrace his weakness, he was, though, still in pain. He still had a thorn in his flesh. Okay? Um, if your counselee is struggling with sinful self-pity or envy or regret or guilt, especially when she compares herself to her past, okay, point her to him who was without sin and yet was made to be sin for us so that she could be the righteousness of God. And that's in 2 Corinthians I never knew 2 Corinthians was so rich until I did this, <laughs> prepared for this talk. That again is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This is a free gift of grace and love that is poured out onto her unconditionally. Embracing weakness means understanding that there is still no condemnation for those found in Christ. The state of no condemnation is an ongoing and forever state that we get to be in because it was paid for once for all. Okay? We don't have to earn that state of no condemnation. right? It's ours. Okay? This hope of knowing the power of Christ because of his weakness is where comfort is found because it is it is grounded in embracing that glory of God. So in embracing weakness, I guess what we are truly embracing is that glory of God. Because it is the Lord's strength that shows in the face of our weakness. Okay, or in the face of your counselee's weakness. All right. So then move us on. Gospel-driven change. 2 Corinthians, verses 5, 17 through 21. And this is from the notes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first part of the gospel change is going to be found in knowing how this great love of God is so deep and rich for your counseling. That's the first step. Okay, that's, that's going to be that hope that she can build on. It's a love so powerful that it actually recreates her and what she's able to do. 
This is what living in the here and now part of the gospel is about. We, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live righteously. We naturally want to respond in love when we are loved so much. There is a natural response to this gospel of grace and love. Okay. She can live with a kind of, your counselor can live with this kind of per, um, sorry, personal integrity, knowing who she really is in Christ and responding accordingly. And that idea of that personal integrity comes from um, Tripp and Lane, How People Change, that book by Ted, uh, Paul Tripp and, and Tim Lane. Uh, <clears throat> this is this vertical relationship that we want to get going again. Okay, when you're feeling weak, just like um, Ernie, what was this? The guy that just spoke, Ernie. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was gonna. I, I had Ernie Banks in my head, <laughs> and I didn't want to say it, but now I did. So it's on the tape. Anyway, um, <laughs> he was saying that, um, and now I lost my point. Anyway, uh, the, this vertical relationship between your counselee is this relationship of repentance and faith. Okay, this is a dynamic of lifestyle, of Christian living. Okay, it, is she going to fail? We all fail. But in Christ, she is still the righteousness of God. She is living by faith in the power of God. Okay, shame of weakness, swallowed up in victory. Your counselee is free to feel victory in her weakness. And fa failing is part of our weakness. Okay, I sometimes get hung up talking to people who, who kind of struggle with this whole idea of failing. Um, they don't like to feel like they sin. They don't, they don't like to admit this. I mean, they will, but they sure don't like to because... They don't like that feeling of, I feel like a failure. And so they want to constantly bathe themselves with one side of the gospel only and not the lifestyle part of the gospel. <laughs> and I like to think of failure and even, even a big sin is like, okay, I'm, I'm getting ready for work in the morning. I got my work clothes on and my coffee. can't go to work like that. So I have to go into my closet, get a new outfit. Life is not over. I put on a new outfit. <laughs> you go into your closet and put back on the righteousness of God because that's what you're clothed in, right? You put on your new outfit and you go to work. Maybe you're a little bit late. You explain it and usually it's okay. Failure is not the end. We will fail. But this is part of our weakness that we can embrace and move on from. The second part of this gospel-driven change is being ambassadors in Christ, which means, again, we've come back to community, right? 
because we all want to get our counselees from that place of I'm stuck, I'm trapped in my weakness, oh, how can I use my weakness to help others? How can I reach out to other people from my place of weakness? And this is our call um, in this passage that I read, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, that we would be able to then get your counselee to be able to identify with others. You know, um, look for those opportunities. Point others to Christ. Another reason I am a biblical counselor with IBCD is because of the joy that I get from being able to minister to others. And I can't tell you how many times I'm struggling through something and I'm like listening to the person talk and I'm like, really, the Lord uses reaching out to others, not just in their life, in our life too. So this, this is the hope that I wanted to share with you about living in weakness. And um, I think I didn't think I was going to take this whole time. I thought I was going to dismiss you early, but um, thank you for coming. Copyright 2014 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.